we have got people, I think, who certainly are not at all concerned about climate change. It was one of our recruitment criteria in the Assembly, and they have as much right as anyone else to have a say in how we get to net zero, because how we get to net zero is going to affect their lives too. As I'll be in prison. <laughs> that's my view, that's not Sarah's view. <laughs> yeah, that's not my view. <laughs> to Sustainable 164. Welcome yourself all to Sustainable 164, me splendidly 2020'd up little chipmunk. Welcome to the new decade, all how the devil are you? Oh, thrilled to be here. Yes. Thrilled to be facing another 10 years of splendour and wonder and babble, babble, more importantly. We are. This is Sustainable. We are your friendly little weekly environment podcast, isn't we all? Yes. Yes, newly listed under the natural sciences section, not the comedy section. What? Um, yeah, I thought Where? Uh, on, on, on Apple. Really? Yeah, I moved it. Why? I'd see if it, anyone actually listens to it. <laughs> see if it made the blind bit of difference. Yeah. Um, and we are here to say, even though things get a little bit rarer sometimes, we can still be a bit woo about it, can't we, all? Mm, yes. And what are we going to be a bit woo about this week? Well, we're going to be a bit woo and a bit ah and a bit, yeah, about like a democracy thing. Democracy? We, a democracy thing. Not democracy, but how people are sort of doing democracy a bit better than the people who are supposed to do democracy are doing democracy. We're going to talk about citizens' assemblies, specifically the citizens' assembly, which has just started and is taking place over the next few weeks, trying to work out, trying to get ordinary people to work out how the devil you get to where the government says it wants to get on climate change. Yes, that's right. We are recording this, of course, uh, at the dawn of a new era for Britain when we're finally shaking off the shackles of those terrible Belgians. Uh, well, we're recording this at the dog end of the old era. Well, actually. that's true. Like, day that's true. N- N- what is it? T minus one. We T are. minus one. But uh, we thought it would be a very good time to look at kind of big decisions and how you make them in a way which don't get people screaming at each other, which seems to be quite an important thing to do for climate. So we are going to talk talk to a wonderful person called Sarah Allen. What you may have seen, if you were watching any of the Climate Assembly, she was the person on stage running it all, facilitating the whole thing. She is head of engagement for an organisation called Involve. What do public participation stuff like citizens' assemblies? And we said, oi... That looked really good, what you were doing there. Come and tell us all about it. Come and tell us uh, who wants this, what's going to happen with it, and come and tell us whether it's actually going to change anything. That's what we said. It is. And Sarah, despite having been approached with... Oi, <laughs> uh, kindly said, OK, I will come and talk to you about those things. Uh, so this is our chat with Sarah. She is fantastic to listen to and like involved in what I think is one of the most exciting things going on at the moment. And yeah, like full of insight. Good. So before any of that, just the usual disclaimer. We do work, don't we all, for environmental charities? We do. But these are very much our own views, uh, and Sarah's own views, although she's a lot more professional about stuff, frankly, than we are. Um, So if you've got any beef with anything you you think that's why she's running massive... (laughs) 
democracy defining <laughs> projects and we're not and me and David Attenborough and we're banging on at each other <laughs> oh yeah we ask, a, we ask we ask room we ask all sorts of stuff about David Attenborough yeah that's right um, we'll talk about that as well um, these are very much our own views so have you got any beef with anything that any of us say don't assemble in the courtyard of our bosses and throw stones at them oh very um, nice. but take it up with us directly yes yeah, yes absolutely right on with it So, hello, Sarah. Hello, Ollie. And Dave. No, she was saying hello to me. Hi, Dave. Hello, Sarah. <laughs> hello, and thank you very, very much for coming in to talk to us. Um, we have asked you here to talk to us about a thing which doesn't sound that exciting, at least the words don't, don't sound that exciting, but when you think about it, is quite exciting, which... Bear with me. Lower league English football. <laughs> so how do you think Cambridge United are going to do for the rest oh, of the season? I could talk at length about that. I'm angry about Cambridge United at the moment. No, it's not that. It's about these things called citizens' assemblies, and specifically a citizens' assembly, the citizens' assembly, which is currently going on, has just started, all about how then do we get to this kind of noble, planet saving position where we're not producing loads of climate change emissions. And you're like at the heart of that, right? Yep. So involved the public participation charity I work for are the lead contractor for Parliament in delivering the Assembly and I lead involves work on it. That sounds cool. And and uh, like what what is it? And I should know the answer to this, but I don't. What is a citizens assembly? And what, so, why are they good? I guess. So a Citizens' Assembly um, is an event or a series of events that give people to say over decisions that affect their lives. And they're used particularly to get at the informed and considered views of the public on a particular topic. Like so, question time? Not quite like question time. So in fact, they have four key features. Um, so the first one is that their participants are a representative sample of the population. Not like question time. (laughs) No, not quite like question time. We can talk more about that and how it relates to Climate Assembly UK, as we call it, uh, in a minute. So you have a representative sample of the population. Then those participants go on a three-step process. So first they learn all about the topic that they're going to consider. So in this case, about how we get to net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Then they spend lots of time discussing that with one another. And finally, they're asked to make decisions about what they think should happen. So that's the second thing. The third thing is that the information presented to the Assembly when people are learning about the subject has to be balanced, accurate and comprehensive. And a lot of... Exactly go- like questions. <laughs> definitely questions. <laughs> it's it completely similar. Um, Nigel, can okay. I not be Do more clear, mate? Do I think you you're wrong. Do I you come not from say? the kind of... Well, commun- this is called question time, this programme, right? And well, happened, tonight you could have an hour So the third thing is that they're balanced, accurate and comprehensive. And the fourth feature is that they're independently facilitated. So if Parliament's commissioning a Citizens' Assembly, it can't be Parliament that facilitates it. So this is a parliamentary thing. This isn't just you and your mates have gone, we would like a Citizens' Assembly. Um, Someone's requested it. Yeah, so six select committees of the House of Commons, so six cross-party committees have asked for the Citizens' Assembly because they want to use it in their work about holding government to account, about how it gets to the UK's current legal target of net zero by 2050, and for their own work on that topic as well. So so they've basically gone, go out there and tell us what people actually think, and go out there and tell us what actually people want to happen, 
Yeah, that's right. Because, and their rationale for that, what they've been really clear about, is that these decisions about how we get to net zero, they're going to have a massive impact on people's lives. Mm. And so they want to understand what public preferences are about how you get there. Which is, I guess, different to, for instance, a focus group, which would be like, do you like fixing climate change? Or do you not like fixing climate change? And if focus group X said, we don't really like fixing climate change, you would go, brill, we'll do, we'll do not fixing climate change because that would keep these people happy. What you're doing is, what the Citizens' Assembly is doing, is saying, no, no, we've, we've got to fix climate change. Like, we've got to get to net zero. And, like, there are facts, are there not, about how that is achieved, kind of... We don't burn loads of fridges in our gardens. We try not to drive everywhere, all that, that sort of stuff. But, like, there are choices within that. How do you want to go about those choices? Is that, is that kind of what you're getting at? So citizens' assemblies are quite different from focus groups in a number of ways. And I've got to be a bit careful because focus groups can vary a bit in how they're run. But they tend to be a much smaller number of people. So around about, say, no more than 20, whereas Citizens' Assemblies, this one is 110 people. Then usually focus groups are about asking people a question and listening to what they've got to say or showing them a stimulus like a poster design and seeing what they've got to say. Whereas a Citizens' Assembly starts with this whole learning phase like you were referring to where people hear a load of information about the topic, they get to cross-question experts, people with different views extensively. And then they don't just talk and people don't just make notes about what they're thinking they actually get to work together to decide what conclusions they want to reach so it's quite a different process giving you um, so how we're going to do it is we're going to start with chris i'm going to take the top question from each of these tables i'll come round with the mic take maybe three questions chris will answer those then i'll take the other questions for chris he'll answer those and then we'll move on to the next so question. what happens when you do that when you when you present people with like I, I, was, I was watching you and i was watching the the assembly last weekend it's jolly good i must say very well done um Nobody was a bastard, as far as I could work out. Was there, was there anyone there a bastard? Nope, no one there was a bastard, I can confirm. Everyone was really respectful and friendly. Even David Attenborough? Even David Attenborough, <laughs> yeah. who was particularly lovely. <laughs> Famous bastard. Famous bastard. I, I would just he was in Inhofe Corner once. He so, was in Inhofe Corner. Know. I would quite like it if David Attenborough just you know, reached over to you and just poured you a pint of kitten blood or something and just said, <laughs> just said don't tell anyone, that's my little <laughs> secret. Well, I'm going to ask you about him in a minute, like what he smells like, but that's a whole other thing. Um, so people basically are civilised and behave in these things. How on earth do you manage to get people to be civilised and behave? Because last episode of The Babble, we were talking to that Jonathan Rowson, um, who was telling us all about how basically like, it's really difficult to get two people with different views on stuff to actually have a civilised conversation these days. Uh, but you seem to have managed it. Yeah, so it's a common thing about citizens' assemblies. It always seems to be like that. And I've always been trying to think about why, and I think there are a number of reasons. So the first one is that people create their conversation guidelines together. So they create their own rules for how they're going to behave towards one another during the assembly. So they've got a level of buy-in to that. And the other thing is, which I think is possibly the main thing, is that when you go to citizens' assembly, you meet people from all walks of life, all parts of the country, people who you'd never normally meet. And people are just really curious to find out what other people think. And it's always one of the things that people say they enjoy most about the assembly is that opportunity to meet all these different people. And so I think you kind of, if you were rude to people and stop them talking, that would defeat the whole enjoyment after that. And, and of course, we have a professional facilitation team there as well, which helps. And welcome to the first ever Way Ahead Task Force Group. Yay! I suppose I could say, really, welcome to the future. Amen. 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 Do you think it's, like, made even more special because so much of our lives is 
you know, in, in, in our own little bubbles, you know, our online lives particularly, we're, we're guided towards people who think like us or, you know, the whole system is set up for combative kind of uh, dialogue or interaction. But do you think that's why people, when they're actually put in a room together, and it's like, right, you're going to be here for four weeks or four weekends, whatever, uh, get to know each other, draw your own rules. Do you think that's one of the reasons they're like, this is, this is nice, we, we don't have to just shout yeah, I think the novelty of it and the the fact that people are engaging constructively exactly as you've said is one of the reasons behind it, this chance to talk to people you'd never normally meet. Um, I think another one is as well that when people are kind of get really aggressive on Twitter, it tends to be a quite, about quite binary questions. It's yes, no oh, type of gosh, things. Yeah. Whereas when you get to a citizens assembly, they're designed for really detailed topics. So how you get to net zero is a really detailed question, like exactly what you do with transport, exactly what you do with land use, food and farming. You get into a load of detail. And there's not, I mean, there are people at the assembly because it's a representative sample of the population who have expertise in those areas. But for most people, they're exploring things in a whole new level of depth. So it's not like they've got a kind of pre predetermined position that they really want to hammer at someone else either. But I was going to ask you about that because, so that people are chosen totally at random, right? So you just get a letter through the door saying we'd like you to come on this thing, yep. crudely. How, how random? Well, that's it. Like, what, if it. what if it arrives on the letterbox of someone who thinks climate change is a fictitious communist plot to enslave us to the Red Menace, and then that person comes along and refuses to be nice? What an impact well, that denying, would make. I'm not denying climate change, but it could very well go back. You know, we're talking about well, over that's millions denying of it. years. So they we have got people, I think, who certainly are not at all concerned about climate change. It was one of our recruitment criteria in the Assembly, and they have as much right as anyone else to have a say in how we get to net zero, because how we get to net zero is going to affect their lives too. As I'll be in prison. <laughs> that's my view that's not Sarah's view yeah that's not my view um, but on, on how random it is it is really random so um, it started off by selecting 30,000 addresses at random from Royal Mail's postcode address file and sending those 30,000 households a letter asking if anyone aged 16 plus in those households wanted to take part in the Citizens Assembly so it is really random um, people reply they reply by phone or online and then when they do that they give us various demographic and attitudinal data about themselves, you put that all in a computer and then the computer pulls out 110 people who between them are representative of the population. I think the people in this country have had enough of experts. So, what? <laughs> this, I guess, is my question. So some you people... You can tell we've not been doing this for a while. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so I mean, what? My question is, so what? Like, so these assemblies sound lovely and they sound like a chance to sit down and talk about stuff. But they've been criticised by so some Extinction Rebellion people who've been calling for a climate assembly for a long time have said these things are just a talking shop. They're not what we wanted, which is a, actually the citizens, citizens go away and, like, actually decide what the government is going to do. So what happens as a result of this? And how do you make it worth the while of the people that have given up four weekends or whatever it is to make this happen? So what's literally going to happen after the Citizens' Assembly is that we're going to write a report, um, including all its findings, which we present to the public and to Parliament at the end of April. And I think before I talk specifically about what the committees have said they're going to do with that, it's worth bearing in mind that Citizens' Assemblies commissioned by Parliament have had huge impact in the past. So if you take the Citizens' Assemblies that happened in Ireland, for example, around abortion, around equal marriage, they were commissioned by Parliament, not by government. And yet these are the ones people have heard of because 
because of the changes that followed on abortion and on, on gay marriage in Ireland. So the Citizens' Assembly in Ireland said that they thought the constitution on abortion should be changed. I was surprised, started moving to a pro-choice position to the extent that we surprised the whole country when we came, when we voted at the end of, of, of that uh, section, that we voted for radically liberalising the abortion laws in Ireland. The Parliament then decided to put that to a referendum and the public voted in favour of the change. So that's what happened. And what's quite interesting about that is when the Citizens' Assembly said that it thought the laws on abortion should be changed, I think 62% of it said that they should be changed. Everyone said, well, you know, the Citizens' Assembly isn't representative, you know, it's just this random group of people, people are never going to vote for that. And when the referendum results came in, it was an almost identical percentage. It was like 62 point something else, wow, something like that. So... It kind of proves the point that actually these things, when people sit down and think about it, they're much more representative than you might think. But going back to the particular example of Climate Assembly UK, so the select committees have been really clear that they're, you know, they've commissioned this in order to use it in their work, holding government to account about how it gets to 2050. Um, and they're going to use it in their own work, looking at how we get to 2050. And beyond them, you know, we've already had interest from the government. Andrea Ledsom saying she's interested to look at the results. Chris Stark said at the first weekend that he was really interested. So Chris Stark is the chief executive of the Committee on Climate Change, the government's official advisors. Um, he said the Committee on Climate Change are really interested in the results as well. So, you know, let's see. Hello, I'd like to vote for president, governor, and anything that will take money away from our parks and libraries. <laughs> Everyone gets very uh, enthusiastic about citizens' assemblies when they've solved kind of knotty cultural impasses like the example you gave in Ireland of uh, the debate around abortion. But that's like a, it's a kind of single issue. It's binary, isn't it? Yeah, like, do we do this thing? Do we not? How do we fix this particular problem? I guess a bit like Brexit, right, <laughs> which we can come on to. But um, what you're trying to do is in, is the opposite. It's like, how do we restructure our entire economy in a way that, like, you're all happy with. And uh, do you think that this process is going to be, is going to, is going to survive that, is going to be good enough for that? Or is it, is it not really enough? Well, that's the sort of question that citizens' assemblies were really designed to look at in the first place. So because they're quite long form, so people meet over at least two weekends, sometimes they meet for a lot longer than that. They're really meant to get into these issues that are either particularly controversial, particularly complex, moral or constitutional. And in particular, they use for what former Home Secretary Charles Clark called two difficult box issues. That's often where they're focused. So these are issues where it's really difficult for politicians to find a way forward. So things like social care funding, things like how the UK tackles climate change, because there is no solution to them which doesn't have an impact on somebody's life. And so when you have a citizens' assembly that says what the public want you to do on those issues, that can be immensely powerful. I've heard lefties... And I count myself as a lefty, but mm. I'm a lefty, believe it or not, even leftier than me. Uh, Thank you, Moses. I know. I've heard lefties say, but we know what the answers are. <laughs> like, hang on, I'll play the. Uh... <laughs> Good, yeah. Full socialism immediately <laughs> everywhere Every, now. Everybody stand, yes. please. <laughs> uh, but, like, you know, science, we know, we know what to do to get to 
one point, go on a one point five trajectory. We know what to do well, to get the UK to net zero, and in fact, not by twenty fifty. It needs to be a lot earlier. Like, you, what, you let's also, not waste time talking about. It. We know what to do. You might also get uh, asshole economists, cabbage assed economists, <laughs> saying, "Oh, it's all right. We've got our one page plan, and all we're going to do is put a carbon tax on everything. That's what we do, right?" So some people are just going to know what the answer is already. Is that your point? Well, they know what their answer they is. They know what they think the answer yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so I guess my, my question is, like, is that something you're conscious of? And, and also, how much is that coming into the discussion all, already? So, I don't know, is that, is that sort of tribalism coming into the discussion? And, and is, is the Citizens' Assembly, are you aware of that sort of critique? And do you give a shit about it? So people have all sorts of opinion amongst the Assembly members. Of course they do, because they're a representative sample of the population and that's how it should be. Um, but what you've quite nicely demonstrated is there is no one view on how we get to net zero by 2050. There's a lot of people with a lot of different ideas about how we get to net zero, but there's no one way to do it. And the purpose of the Citizens' Assembly is to find out how the public wants us to do it. That's kind of the point of it. But how, how do you end up with anything other than a final report which says there isn't one view on how to do this. I, mm. I, I'm, I'm trying to sort of thread... Like, we know that there is a vast divergence of views on this stuff and so I, I don't quite understand how you end up with something that is useful to a po- politician to steer in a particular direction. So you get real clarity for politicians on public preferences about the direction in which policy should head and also about why they think it should head in that direction. So the rationale for it, and actually that rationale is really helpful because you can then apply it to all sorts of things, not just what the Assembly was considering. Mm. But the Assembly report is, you know, it will be quite complex. It will present the views of the Citizens' Assembly in full. I can't go too much further because, you know, we haven't had the weekends yet and I don't know what people have said, but that's, I hope that helps a little bit. Yeah, I I guess just, it does help. I just, I I guess what Dave might be getting at. Oh, right, explaining. I'm going to explain you. (laughs) Or rather, what I understand from what you said is that this report's published and Boris Johnson goes, see, I told you, cherry picks one bit of it. People don't like this thing that we don't like and therefore we're not going to do it. And then whichever person is in charge of Labour or at least speaking on behalf of Labour at that point goes, well, see, told you, this bit I cherry picked here shows that what Labour think is right, which is obviously an unhelpful sort of situation are you are you hopeful that we won't get that response so we didn't get that in response to the citizens assembly on social care so that was the first citizens assembly that parliament commissioned in 2018 it was commissioned by two select committees the health and social care select committee and housing communities and local government committee it looked at how adult social care in england should be funding long term and it was specifically to influence those committees inquiry on the same subject and if you look at the committee's inquiry report, it reflected almost all of the recommendations from the Citizens' Assembly. And what was even more interesting is that the, well, from my point of view anyway, is that the committee chairs are on record saying that it helped them reach a unanimous decision as the committee. So two whole committees managed to produce a unanimous report on social care funding. That's no mean feat. And that's cool because, like, committees have people from lots of different parties, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. And they said that the findings of the Citizens' Assembly and knowing what the public thought was really helpful in that process. So that's what I'm looking for with this one. So I'm going to ask this, and you don't have to answer it, 
respect you if you don't answer it. <laughs> but I'd like you to answer it. But I expect you won't. This episode is coming out when Britain is proudly an independent nation. Oh. I've been waiting for this moment, oh. for the seizing of our national supremacy, for ruling the ways, taking back control of our fish, stopping our fish, going off to Belgium. Shiny new 50p's. Shiny new 50p's. commas missing. Worth a pound. <laughs> um, and it strikes me that this might have been a sensible thing to do around Brexit, this Citizens' Assembly idea, because it is a pretty good analogue for something like climate change when ostensibly there's like a question you're asking, which is like, you know, should we do something? Where actually you're talking about something much broader than that. There's a lot of trade-offs. So in your professional opinion, if you are able to comment, and if not, I've wasted an awful lot of question. And time. And time. (laughs) Would it have been a good idea to do a citizens' assembly about something like Brexit? So there are points in the Brexit process where I think it would have been very sensible to have a citizens' assembly and there are points when I think it wouldn't have been so sensible. So a point when I think it would have been very sensible is after the referendum result when we'd voted to Brexit and we were thinking about what type of future relationship we wanted with the European Union. I think a citizens' assembly that looked at that, that brought together leavers and remainers in proportion to how people voted leave and remain and, in fact, didn't vote at all within the population looking at that question would have been immensely valuable to Parliament in thinking about how to take that issue forward. Because you're, you're focusing on the how to do a thing that has been agreed. Like, so your, your, your climate assembly is not saying, should we act on climate change? You're saying that's a given. The question is how we do it. And so you think that's, that thing for Brexit would have been a good idea? So I think so. That wasn't why I picked that point, actually. I picked it because it was a point when the country kind of needed bringing together, when you had a very polarised debate, when there was this big decision to make about the country's future that was complex. But also, like, we had so much people saying oh, well, I think people voted for this. Demonstrably, they didn't vote for anything because it was a very small binary choice on the papers. Imagine how much of that we could have avoided. Now, talking about Brexit, uh, thoughts inevitably turn to elderly white men. And uh, thank you very much, <laughs> including Dave. <laughs> Some even older than Dave. Uh, I'm getting there, all. I saw David Attenborough was there at your citizens' assembly. D- did you meet him? I did. You met David Attenborough. I did. Oh. Give me three. What give me three. Like? I want three words that spring to mind to describe David Attenborough. Lovely. <laughs> Uh, chatty and knowledgeable. Oh, that was David, not me. No, not you, Dave. I'm sorry. I thank you all for taking this seriously. And I do so for two reasons. The first one is is a political reason. Um, This is Dave's question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What did he smell like? Yes, you know what? That was one of the first things Dave asked me when I got here today. Yeah. And I really disappointed Dave by saying that he didn't smell of anything. Like I got not even about, an old person? No, not at all. So I got to about a metre and a half away, I'd say, and I can report no smell whatsoever. <laughs> I'm a metre and a half away from all at the moment. And let me tell you, <laughs> I wish that was the case. It's a much longer cycle ride than it used to be. Uh, it's quite an achievement not to smell of anything, particularly when you're Jesus. <laughs> And does he, your, does he and kind in of, your 90s. Does he kind of project, like, did you feel like you were next to Jesus? 
Because I think if I was next to David Attenborough, I'd just immediately poo myself. Immediately. And then I'd smell of something. Poo. So I think I think everyone was just slightly like awestruck that he was there. Yeah. I think I think that's fair to say. But because he is chatty, it does make it easier. And he was telling all these like fantastic anecdotes before he ever got in front of the assembly, just when we were sitting chatting, and it did make did make it easy for people. Was he there the whole day? No, he wasn't. He arrived about an hour before he was going to say something. Okay, oh, wish you did that. It's, it's fair enough. You know, he's in his nineties. Yeah, what like were you sort of starstruck by him or? A little really. bit, but like because you're running around organising the whole weekend in a weird way, you kind of run in and say hi, and then you have to run off and sort out oh, something else. So you don't important. have time oh. to get. Imagine <laughs> being so important that like, David not... Attenborough doesn't fluster you, and like, he just goes, <laughs> "Yes, all right, fine, good, sit there, shut up, good." <laughs> I was slightly flustered, but I didn't really have time to get too flustered. Oh, thank God the horny old blighter didn't ask you to marry him. <laughs> he did. Well, how did you get out of that one? Well, to be honest, sir, I'm not absolutely certain that I did. <laughs> what? So, strikes me, citizens' assemblies are good. Thanks. Yes, good things. <laughs> um, no, I like it, because I think it's really nice to actually find... Like that Jonathan Rousen was saying, it's nice to find a way of actually having a conversation about things where you put aside stupid egos and flame wars and calling each other bumholes and just, like, actually have a conversation. What if, if you are just out there in the world and you want to have a conversation with people about climate change, like you're a listener to the babble, what can you learn from how climate assemblies do it? Like, is there a way, does it help, will it help any of our listeners, maybe in their workplace or with other people or they're trying to get their companies to do something... What, what can we learn? What can p- people learn about what you've been up to? It's a really interesting question. I mean, I think I'd start by saying that even if you're not there, there are ways that you can get involved in Climate Assembly UK. So all the speaker presentations and the Q&As that happen at the front of the room are all live streamed when they're happening real time on climateassembly.uk, our website, to plug it slightly. Um, But also afterwards, all the recordings are put up there too and all the speaker slides and transcripts of them. So it's a really good place to go and find information. Um, I'd say that. We're also on social media, so at Net Zero on Twitter, also on Facebook, also on Instagram. So there's a whole ways of getting information that you might use for your conversations, I suppose. So what can people take away from it about how to have a conversation about climate change? That's a difficult question, but I think what I take away from it is that it's really possible to have a conversation about climate change and it's really possible to have that conversation with people who have a completely different point of view from you and to do it respectfully. And hopefully over the different weekends as we go on to look at different themes, so how we travel, what we buy... Angie's food and farming it will give also people like a lot of different topics and ways into talking about climate change rather than just starting with the science Sarah thank you so much for coming to chat to us and thank you for like making what sounds like an amazing thing happen. Um, fixing democracy. Fixing democracy. Fixing climate change. Sorting out how we're going to do climate change. Um, bossing David Attenborough around so that he sits in the right place. Uh, yeah, amazing stuff. And I'm like, I'm really, really excited to see how it develops and what happens next. And yeah, kind of hopeful, actually. It's one of the few things that's given me hope recently. So thank you. Um, if people want to keep in touch with you uh, or keep in touch with Involve or what you're doing, what's the best way to do that? 
Uh, so go to Involve's website, it's involve.org.uk, or to keep in touch with the Citizens Assembly, we're at Net Zero UK on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. He's very keen on it. What's that got to do with it? <laughs> Things don't happen just because prime ministers are very keen on them. Neville Chamberlain was very keen on peace. <laughs> so, what about that then, Dave? What did you think? Are we going to be saved by citizens' assemblies? Uh, I think it's an interesting thing. I think the proof is in the pudding. That's what I reckon. Oh, there's a cliche. Do you know what the origin of the word cliche is, Ol? It's the same as the origin of the word stereotype. Would you like to learn more? I thought you would. The word stereotype <laughs> was the plate that was used to press the copy. When it first okay. did printing presses, the stereotype was the name of the plate. And a cliche is the sound that the stereotype made when you printed it. It went like cliche. And so that's that the true? origin. That's uh, what? It's, is that's that true? what I got told. Oh, hang on a minute. Was this by your mate down the pub? Who was it? Your mate down the pub, <laughs> the told, you, down the pub. told you that, like, bats flew at wolves. Oh, or... that was, that was, was it? Alison down the pub, yeah. What did she say? She said that uh, bee poos by ramming itself very hard <laughs> against a wall. Yes. <laughs> Which obviously turned out to be nonsense. What are we talking about? I don't know. Oh, what did I, I think? Proof is in the pudding. Proof is in the said. pudding. Yeah. I, uh, I think this is a great idea. I am to be convinced that you're going to get out of this uh, in-depth but limited chat, as in only 110 people, that you're going to get something that really clarifies what the government should do about stuff. What I think you're going to get is some little insights into things, which is fine. And something I wish we'd asked and wish we talked about, actually, is, like, I have a feeling that the being seen to do this is kind of half the point, right? Like, behind all that stuff with the island referendum and that sort of thing that we talked about, um, it's like it gives legitimacy to what you do next. So government is going to be able to go, kind of even if it's a bit inconclusive what comes out of this, they'll be able to go, well, we're doing this thing because... We asked people about it. They talked about it like grown-ups, not like you bastards on Twitter, and they came to a conclusion. And so you can actually say, here's a process that we did. Um, So maybe that's the most useful thing of all, is that you're actually having a conversation in an adult way, and you're able to say, we had a conversation in an adult way, it's complicated, but given all of that, we're going to do X. Yeah. Um, And maybe that's that's a good thing. And it means that climate stuff is no longer only talked about by weirdos like us who are really interested in climate stuff. Like, there is a... a, What? No, I mean... uh, like nothing. What? Well, 2019 was a year in which climate stuff was talked about by people other than just us. Sure, but the point is that people who got talking about climate stuff in 2019 were people who got concerned about climate change and started talking about it, yeah? yeah. But this is this whole process is includes people who are not concerned about climate change to whom stuff is going to be done by the government, right? right. And that's the, that's the new thing. And I think that that is the kind of interesting and, and hopeful bit. Is is a yeah? You could you can you can get somewhere with that. Right, that is just about it for another episode of Babel. Thank you very 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 much, Sarah, for coming and explaining this stuff to us You're and welcome. hopefully to oh, people no. who are listening. Yes, sorry, thank you. What? Yes. Sorry, I thought. It, uh, uh, yes, I said. Well, uh, I said you're welcome. You Even though I said Sarah, yes. explicitly said Sarah. Yeah, I wasn't listening. No, um, thank you, Dave. Thank you. No, you're welcome uh, for being Dave. Terribly and sorry. thank you for thank you to Dickie Moore for the music that begins, ends, and intertwinkles this podcast. Thank you also to Arthur Stovall. Just about remembered his name there. Yeah. 
I'd just like to give a little bit of a plug for Arthur Stovall has an Instagram account now in, what, in which he's been tweeting the Babel logo, what he's designed, he? and his other stuff. If you want any graphic design you've done, go check out Arthur Stovall. He is a ledge. He is a ledge. Like, well easy to work with as well. He was really great, so go and work with Arthur. Uh, who else do we thank? Thank you, you lot, for listening. I hope you are still there. Sometimes when we have a little break, you will disappear because of algorithms. So yeah, if you po- know anyone who isn't listening and might want to be, tell them. Point of order, yeah. There's, uh, this is a totally irrelevant bit of advice to give you because you're listening to this. But uh, <laughs> I, we used to, this is boring, right? Great. Quick bit of this, quick thing to do. If you have ever thought, ooh, Sustainable went away and never came back, this might be my fault, right? I'm going to break it all live on air that I may single-handedly be responsible for having lost us loads of listeners. Um, we this combined with the thing that you said just before we started recording this <laughs> is, is making for quite a testing half hour in your company. Go uh, on. We used to have a parallel s- a SoundCloud thing. We used to do everything twice. We used to yes. have it on our own feed and we used to bung it on SoundCloud. We got rid of the SoundCloud thing because yes. what's the point? But unfortunately, yes. it turns out that some of the podcast feeds, for example, Podcast Addict, which is one of the big Google ones, uh, points at the SoundCloud one that doesn't point at us. So a lot of people have actually been for ages getting a thing saying, our sustainable bubble's not there, it's dead. Uh, it's not dead, it's just it wasn't pointed at the right thing. So if that's you, and you've somehow, despite all of that, managed to listen, what you want to do is delete your subscription to sustainable Babble and start again, and you will find it no problem at all. Don't look at me like that. I don't know how big a problem it is. Sorry. So a lot, a lot of people will be looking at their phone or whatever and going, refresh sustainable Babble, mm. and that phone will be going... There haven't been any sustainables since 2017. Right. If you want to get in touch with us and tell me exactly how large of a knob I am, you can do so by emailing uh, hello at sustainable. No, I'm going to set up a new address. Dave's a knob at sustainable.fish. Uh, do that. We'll, we'll receive it. If you so, we'll get that. Um, we, uh, you can get in touch with us on the Facebook. Just search sustainable or on the Twitter at the Babble Wagon. And public service announcement. All the question we get asked all the time is. You two say you work for environmental charities. I'd like to work for an environmental charity. Just wondered if you've got any advice. Yes. Now, if you've ever asked us that over the last couple of years, we probably haven't replied. because Sometimes we, get, we do. Sometimes we do, but it got tiresome. But we've now written a blog about it. So if go to the Babble website, wobbly-wobbly-wobbly.sustainbabble.fish, look at the top, says careers advice, and we've got an answer to that for how you can, if you for some reason want to be like us, be like us. <laughs> Great. And while you're there, buy some T-shirts. Also... Give us money. Money. Uh, we have a Patreon. It is where you can give us money. Lots of people do, and we're very, very grateful for that. You lot are amazing. Thank you so much. It has made us very happy, extremely wealthy, and occasionally able to buy mics and train tickets and stuff. You can go to wobblywobblywobbly.patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, forward slash sustainable, and that's where you can give us cash. Very good. Right, I am off all to sit down with people who disagree with me and have a civilised conversation. Bollocks. Yeah, bollocks to you and all. <laughs> Don't even agree with you, and you agree with me most of the time. <laughs> Bye! Bye.